Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and guinea pigs needlessly hiding from the Oscar Mayer company. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means. It's Tea with BBP. Live from Michigan State University campus, it's me, your host, BBP, a.k.a. Bill Van Patten, international superstar and diva of SLA. With me are my co-hosts, straight from the judges' table at America's Got No Talent, Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. <laughs> what no. does that mean? No, I'm going exp- to explain in a minute. What That's not about you guys. Uh, okay, because you guys. tremendous talent. Are you kidding no, me? No, I mean, you guys are talent Angelica, plus. Angelica, could you open the door there and just scoot out and I'll follow you? Okay. No, <laughs> you, no I'm going to explain that in a minute. See, y'all, y'all get so flummoxed, so easy. Yes. My gosh. <laughs> Jeez. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for saying hi. Walter, you haven't said hi yet. Hello. Don't make me stick my hand up like a ventriloquist and move your head and make you say oh, hi. Oh, <laughs> certainly don't want you touching me. <laughs> <laughs> that would make me Sherry Lewis and you lamb chops. I think that would oh, be pretty funny. Boy. Oh, gosh. Hello, We're everyone. Starting. It's great to be here with you, even if I have to sit in the same room as this guy beside me. Uh, at least I get to look at Angelica. I don't have to look at Bill. You know, right? some, people, <laughs> some people pay to sit next to me. You yeah. know that, don't wow, you? really? Yeah, yeah. They must have lost their they minds, do. huh? Yeah. <laughs> and they pay a lot, too. Uh, Let me tell you. They pay uh, a lot to sit next sure. to me. Sure. Okay, people, watch. People are going to call <laughs> and say, watch. People are going to call in today and say, I'd pay to sit next to Bill. No, I, I, bet you, I bet you they will call in and say that they would pay to sit next to Walter. <laughs> <laughs> mm, you just wait. Well, I would, I, would, I would pay them to sit next to Walter so that Walter wouldn't be sitting alone. That's what I would do. So. Oh. Wow. <laughs> well, we'll just see how it goes. Let's see what happens out there in the uh, in the Twitter sphere. Well, yeah, we will see that. But but I mean, okay. Because let me tell you about this. America's got no yes, talent thing. Yes, yes. Please. About that. Am I the only one that watches America's Got Talent? Yes. Am I the only one that? Well, watches? I'm sure there are other people in the nation that watch it, but in this room. Well, yes. let me tell you, I am over. I am over America's Got Talent. No more. Kaput. I tell you, I am so bummed. I mean, I'm not even bummed. What? I, I'm fatutsed. I, I was so flummoxed by the outcome last night. I'm so mad. And I'm sure our fans are m- angry out there, too, about the outcome of America's Got Talent last night. It was Brian Justin Crumb came in fourth. Are you kidding me? Wow, that's outrageous. It is outrageous. <laughs> and then John Derenbrost <laughs> was out as well. John Derenbrost didn't make it into the top two. Get out of here. So America voted for this 14-year-old girl who squeaks a song out on a ukulele. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Now, you know. I take it that's not who you voted for? No, I mean, she's got talent. Don't get me wrong. She does. But... I mean, this is for a million dollars and a Las Vegas showcase show. I mean, we're talking Celine Dion, Cher, Bette Midler, Penn and Teller. And this 14-year-old girl who sounds like she could be one of Alvin and the Chipmunks is going to be in Las <laughs> Vegas with a million dollars? I'm sorry. So I'm just upset about it. That's why I, that's why I made the crack about America's Got No Talent. Because I was so... You should see me last night. Oh, oh my God. I had to have a drink. Or two. Or three. That's really surprising. It is. I mean, I was like, ugh, ugh. Thank heavens that the Diva Tour is starting tomorrow. The Diva Tour. Thank heavens. Thank heavens. Does I that mean you're out, out of the office? I'm out of the Woo-hoo! office. Out of I your mean, hair. <laughs> I'm out of the little bit of hair that you have left, Walter. So I will be out of your hair and, and away for a couple of days. The first stop of the Diva Tour is where? Do you know? Ohio. 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 Remember that from uh, Wizard of Oz? Ooh-wee-oh. 
Ohio. Yeah, the first wow. stop was Ohio. The Ohio, it's called the Ohio Five. It's a, a consortium of five colleges in Ohio, plus uh, Ohio State now is involved. And they've invited me. I'm going to do a little talk for them on Saturday morning. We're really excited about it because I really like the people in Ohio, and the people invited me are really, really a lot of fun. And I get to see a good friend of mine, Winnie Wong, who I haven't seen in a while, so I'm excited about that. So it's going to be fun. So the first stop of the Diva Tour is Ohio. I like it. What's the second stop? Colorado. Mm. Yeah. So I go from the flatlands. Well, Ohio's got some undulating hills and stuff like that. It does. It does. Mm. Then I go to the Rockies. So nice. I get to see. One thing about my job is I do get to travel and see a lot of different parts of the country. I think I have now talked in every state except Montana. Wow. Well, Montana listeners, let's fix that. Yeah, fix that, people. Get, get, get me out to Montana. All right. Oh, Walter, I just saw this. You're on Twitter. Yeah. Walter's Everybody on out there, go love Walter on Twitter. Go love Walter on Twitter. What's Twitter? Yeah, exactly. What's Twitter? Ha, ha, ha. Well, it is. Oh, there my gosh. I am. There you are. I don't know how to do anything yet. What, what is your handle, Walter? I don't know. It's it's at T with oh there w- it is it's, it's at T with W P H at That's T right. with W P H at T with W P H. Yeah. I guess we're having a coup d'état here. Yeah, I like so. it. I like it. We're so taking over. Everybody, everybody inundate Walter with a tweet so he has to respond to all of you individually. Right. No, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> we'll see how how long this lasts, folks. <laughs> all right. Uh, before I talk about the um, the the SLA challenge question, Diva challenge question. I want to remind everybody that we have a major contest coming up. You know why we have a contest coming up? Do you remember why? Yes, I do. It's our first anniversary. Yes, October 15th is our first anniversary. So we have a contest for people. Um, The Diva Lip Sync Battle. Okay. Um, For those of you who were not listening last week or haven't caught up, um, we have two contests for you to enter. One is a div- diva lip sync with actual pop divas, and the other is a diva lip sync where you sync to my voice. Um, anyway, all the information is on our website. If you go to teawithbvb.com and go to the news page, you will find the information of how to su- how, what to do and how to submit and so on. The um, uh, deadline is October 15th. So you've got to get it in by October 15th, and we will announce winners Hopefully on the 21st. Yeah, we'll do it on the 21st. So we'll announce winners on the 21st. So please, please go do that. It would be so much fun. It would be just so much fun. I can just think of some of those people out there that we know that mm-hmm. are going to like, yep. you know, really get into this. And I can just see them lip syncing. Yep. I think Angelica and I should do one. Oh, you should do one. Absolutely, we will. Yeah, you could be the Pointer Sisters minus one. <laughs> Who are the Pointer Sisters? Oh, gosh. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Pointer <laughs> Sisters. It was, it was, it's, it's, it's a group of dogs that go like this. I nobody can everyone. see you. Yeah, I know. Can see you. They, they heard, through the pause in my voice, they knew that I was pointing. All right. Anyway, so um, just to remind everybody that we have the SLA challenge question coming up. I will give you a question in a few moments. Actually, should I do it now, Luca? Do you want me to do it now, Luca? I'm going to give you the. I'm going to give you the question now. Luca's giving me the thumbs up. So I'm going to give you. Where is it? I had the question here somewhere. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm going to give you the question now. You have 10 minutes to call in. Well, we'll give you a little bit more because I think we got a phone call already. So we're going to take that in a second. The uh, SLA challenge questions the following. Listen carefully. Name two of the four underlying competences that make up communicative competence as defined by Canali and Swain published way back in 1980, 
and the refinement by Canali himself in 1983. Okay, so again, name two of the four underlying competences, competences, I can't even say the word. Name two of the four underlying competences that make up communicative competence as defined back in the early 1980s. Okay, um, and the reason we have that is our SLA questions, because today we're gonna talk about communicative language teaching. We'll get to that in um, a minute. Um, and, but I think uh, we have a call already coming in. So, um, <clears throat> but before we take the call, let me remind everybody about how to call in, right? Oh, and don't forget later on, we'll give you the Diva challenge question as well. So if you wanna call in and talk to us, you know our number. The, uh, the number is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. Uh, Dustin, as usual, on the phone lines, waiting for your call. Um, you can tweet us at T with uh, BVP or you can send Walter an email at T with BVP at gmail.com. Uh, Angelic, as usual, is on Mixler, so you can send something there if you're all chatting to each other on Mixler. Um, but again, we like you to call in. We do like to hear those sweet melodic voices, unlike that 14 year old ukulele player last night. So <laughs> we want to hear your voices. <laughs> we want to hear your voices. So don't be shy and pick up the phone. Um, dial us again. Walter, what's the number? 517-884-4321. I love the way Walter pays attention. Thank you, Walter. Thank you so much. I'm a good rule follower. Um, before we take our call, um, that we've got a call already coming on. Before we take our call, I'm going to just, can I talk about what our topic is today? Of course you can. Can I do that? I think you should. You're the host. Because, I mean, does, you don't have to call in about the topic. Remember, you know, you can always call in about whatever you want to call in. Um, but I thought I'd bring this up because this was something that that um, popped out at me, I guess you want to say, when I was reading some blogs and involved with some people on um, various websites this last week. The topic is communicative language teaching, misunderstood and misapplied. In reading these blogs and being on these websites with people, it's occurred to me that CLT, what we commonly abbreviate as CLT, has come to be equated with a method. And so you hear, for example, or I hear all the time, people talk about the communicative method. Well, let's be clear that there's no such thing as the communicative method. There's, no, there's not even anything as such as the communicative approach, okay? And another thing we, we, we see all the time, and I saw this on the websites and the blogs this weekend, or this last week, is that CLT is all about making students speak. That that's what it's about, getting students to talk. Again, that's wrong. That's not what CLT necessarily is about. So I was hoping during the show that we could remind people that CLT is not some singular thing. It's not one thing you can point out. It's not, it's, just, it's not just one way to do something, right? Instead, CLT is and always has been since its inception in the late, I think it was late 1970s, mid, mid to late 1970s, it always has been a collection of principles around which you can fashion a curriculum. So there are lots of methods and lots of approaches that we could consider to be communicative. Or better yet, there are methods and approaches that fall in a continuum of what we might call communicativeness, depending on the extent to which they embody and practice principles that underlie communicative language teaching. So everything from, from TPRS to immersion and content learning to, to, to proficiency, true proficiency-based learning, to task-based learning, all these things I would put under the broad umbrella of communicative language teaching. Um, so what makes a communicative curriculum? Well, we've talked about some of these things in the past. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna remind people of three of the top things. Um, there are others, but I'm gonna just mention three. 
Uh, for something to be communicative, it means that meaning making is central to the classroom, not language practice. So if you're engaged in meaning making, whether it's the teacher or the students or some combination or whatever, then you've passed one step of being communicative, right? Um, also, the curriculum is informed by a definition of communication. We've talked about that before, the expression, interpretation, negotiation of meaning in the context of the classroom. And then the curriculum understands the constrained nature of acquisitions. You can't, you're not trying to make students do stuff they're not ready to do because you understand that acquisition is constrained. Um, again, there are other principles that underlie CLT, but I'm just going to just name those three. Um, and my point in, in just bringing those up is that there's no singular way to make meaning central to the classroom, for example. So if you're going to make meaning central, you could do it through TPRS. You could do it through immersion. You could do it through content-based instruction. You could do it through task-based instruction. All these things make meaning central, among other things. So if you want to get in on that conversation, again, our number is 517-884-4321. And uh, a little bit later, we'll get Walter's read and Angelica's quote of the week, which is a good one because it ties to our topic, I think, if I recall correctly. Okay, so we have a phone call. We have Lance calling us. We have Lance from MA, which is not Montana, by the way. <laughs> Too bad. I know. You could invite <laughs> me to Montana. But it's MA stands for M-A-S-S-A-C-H-U-S-E-T-T-S. Right, Lance? Yes. There he is. I knew Lance was on the line. <laughs> hey, Lance, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Hey, I wrote you all a song on the ukulele. You want to hear it? Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No. <laughs> Dust, I'm going to have oh, okay. Dustin hang up. I'm going to have Dustin hang up on you if you do that to me. Like Can you that. submit it for the uh, lip sync contest? There you go. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, or I'll just play it another time. That's another time. You know, I, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll put a little apology out there to that poor girl who yeah, won no last kidding, night. I mean, you know, she worked a good She really does have talent. Don't get me wrong. I just thought these other people were more talented. And I just, I didn't get why America voted the way it did. I really. Because she's a 14-year-old girl. Oh, <sighs> uh, but, you know. Okay. Well, well Bill. Yes. Are you, are you really questioning America voting the way they're voting? <laughs> okay, Lance, we're not going down that route. We're not going down that today. We don't do that on this show. <laughs> okay. Um, I have a question that might um, fall more under the communicative language teaching misunderstood part. Okay. Okay. And it's inspired by some things going on at the ACTFUL forum this past week. And someone brought up the, this idea of recitation and memorization in, in relation to L1, like learning our native language and like memorizing lists and grouped words and how, well, that's how we learned our first language. So why shouldn't it? work for L2. And I just think that was a very loaded statement that you could talk about. So, well, let me get, let me get this right, Lance. So somebody yeah. on this blog or this website or wherever it was said that we learn our first language through memorization and recitation? Uh, yeah, no one person in particular. There were, there were several people involved, but it's the idea of, yeah, little kids um, will memorize the days of the week or, you know, numbers. Counting games. Well, yeah, they do do that, but but you know, Winnie and I talked about this in two thousand four. Winnie Wong. Well, actually, I mentioned earlier. I'm going to see in, in Ohio. In a response to a response to an article she I, she and I wrote in two thousand three, because one of the things people claimed in that in the response to us was that 
Um, of course, pattern practice and things like that are important for language acquisition because we see it all the time in kids. And saying the same thing, these were scholars, by the way, saying in print that kids learn language, their first language, through recitation and practice and repetition and blah, blah, blah. And citing some of these same things, Lance, like you know, days of the week and numbers and so on. Um, and and, and, and oh, also nursery rhymes and playing and so on. And as we pointed out, that that's just, that's just false. That is just so false that I don't know where this myth comes from. It's just false. Kids, little kids play in games and rhymes and memorization things because they already have the language to do that. You don't get, you don't get language in your head through memorizing and practice things when you're a kid. You get language and then you can do things like memorization games with days of the week and numbers and so on. So like a little four year old or even a three and a half year old learning the alphabet is just memorizing a string of things. But the little kid can do that because he has the sound system or she has the sound system to be able to say A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's not that you're using A, B, C, D to get the sound system. Um, I mean, these, these notions about first language acquisition, it drives me crazy because it's just, it's just, I mean, this has been so disproven since the 1950s. So why are we still talking about this? Tell me, Lance, why are we still talking about this? I'm talking the 1950s. We've known this, if not before, about child language acquisition. You don't have an answer for me, Lance, do you? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about it. Other people are talking about it. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, so, yeah, so I don't know where it comes from. I don't know where it comes from. Um, okay. But, but it's just wrong. And um, you cannot, little kids can only do things with language that they already have language to do things with. Does that make sense? Yes. So you don't, you don't practice language as a little kid. You don't memorize things as a little kid. That's not how you get language. You memorize and do things and play with language because you already have the language to do that particular thing you're trying to memorize or play with. Okay. So then uh, applying to L2, um, once you have enough of a language, and I don't know what that means, but once you have enough of it, then perhaps memorizing will help you. Um, no. No. <laughs> no, it won't. It doesn't work that way either in an L2. What you're memorizing is something for a particular task. So let's say, let's say I get enough Russian now that I can, after a month or two, I can do a few things. Well, I can memorize the days of the week and spot them out, but, but that doesn't mean that's how the days of the week get into my head. Um, and the fact that I can memorize the days of the week means I already have something in my head that I can do with the days of the week, if that makes any sense. Um, now, with, vocab with vocabulary, it's always a little harder with adults and second language learners because they're, you know, you, you can memorize things and fake it, right? You can do that. And it looks to teachers like, oh my God, you know, when they memorize these, these vocabulary lists, they memorize these words, they're getting language. But we've also seen, I mean, Joe Barcraft has written about this. A lot of people have written about this. There's a whole huge literature on um, vocabulary acquisition that shows that's not how vocabulary is acquired in an L2 either. It's, it's just that's not, not what's gotten. And so, um, <clears throat> so even the concept of memorizing things in an L2 is a little bit suspect. Not, not, well, not a little bit. I would say it's a lot suspect, but I'll, I'll fudge right now for the purpose of the show and say it's a little bit suspect. So um, I think this, this push for recitation, memorization, all these things, is because people don't want to grapple with the reality of how language works and how language acquisition works. I, I think it's just, that's what it is. So. Okay. 
Well, and, um, thank you very much. And I, I think Walter Walter's going to have a quote for you um, that he shared with me, his quote of the week, that, that um, after you hang up, it will let him do his quote. No, not no, I'm not quote his reading. I'm sorry, Walter's reading. Oh God, geez. I was having an Alice moment. Uh, sorry, kids. Uh, 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 <laughs> oh God, I forget who's doing what. I mean, you know, you, I, you, they kind of look alike. They're both dressed in red today, you know. And <laughs> we look a lot alike. Yeah. Don't we Although you do have a little bit more hair, Angelica, than Walter. Yes, well. yes. Anyway, so Walter has a read, and there's a there's a little blurb inside that read that I think is going to tell us that kind of speaks to this. So, well, Alrighty. well all right, Lance. You. All right, but thanks for calling in. Yeah, okay. Talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye, Lance. Bye-bye. Yay, the great state of Massachusetts calling in. Okay, there's a challenge now, people. Okay, I'm going rem- to remind people what the SLA challenge question is so they can call in about that. It's an easy one. You can just Google this. You can just Google this. Uh, here's the t- question again. Name two of the four underlying competences that make up communicative competence as defined in the early 1980s um, literature. I have a question. Oh, do I have an answer? I don't know. I don't know. The plural of competence. What? Is competences? Yeah. Since when? Just is. You add S to competence, you get competences. Really? Just like tense. It's a non-count noun. It's like tense and tenses. Seriously? Yeah. What's the difference between competence and competency? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Look it up, everybody. Look it up, everybody. Somebody call that in first. Angelica's having a heart attack over here. That German gene is kicking in where things have to be just just like this way, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, all right. I understand, Angelica. Walter, what's your read of the week? Can I actually share something that Meredith wrote on Mixler? I think you'll you'll enjoy that. Sure. Um, She said that um, I had a student today in my third block say, Senora, today's Thursday. You have tea with that man after school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and she says that she's mentioned tea with PVP tea I can't even talk tea with PVP before and she thought that it was rather hysterical and then the student well I don't know if she explained what the show is or if the student explained what the show is but there was an explanation because the students were all very confused <laughs> oh look Walter's got a he's got a tweet from Jeff it says welcome to Twitter um, Walter, don't tell the other two, but you're my favorite on the show. Oh okay, my. Jeff. Jeff is fired. Jeff is not coming in. Okay. All Thanks, right. Jeff. You're a good guy. I don't know who you are, but. Yeah, Luca paid him 20 bucks to do that. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so, Walter, what's your read of the week? All right, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we are coming from an article that uh, is in a magazine entitled Scientific American Mind. Yay. Behavior, Brain Science Insights mind.scientificamerican.com and the article is uh, is called learning when no one is watching ooh, dun, ooh. Dun, dun. <laughs> i do a lot of things when no one's watching the tagline is we gain most of our knowledge without any instruction cognitive scientists are using virtual reality and other high tech tools to unravel how we do wait, it wait go back there. what does so, it say most of our say that again learning when no one is watching. And what is this? Read that line again. We gain most of our knowledge without any instruction. There you mm-hmm. go, people. Mm-hmm. Good. So anyway, it's a good article. Take a look at it. Um, it starts out talking about, uh, well, I'll just read the, the first little bit here because I find it interesting. It says, learning theory as we know it today still rests largely on the century-old experiments of Ivan Pavlov and his dog salivating at the sound of a bell. <laughs> 
His theory has yielded plenty of knowledge about how we acquire behaviors through the pairing of stimulus and reward or punishment and the strengthening of connections between neurons that fight that sorry that fire together. It is the kind of training we do with our pets and to some degree our children, but it explains little about most human learning. So excellent. I like that. I want to read that. It's a good article. Again, it's in uh, Scientific American Mind, and feel free to go and find that article and read it. It talks. It does talk about language learning, and uh, about learning a native language. It also, um, uh, it's it's a short article too. So, but it says uh, learning our native language through everyday experience is very much like unsupervised learning of a new space, uh, and then it goes on to uh, learning a second language as well. Uh, on the last page as well. So feel okay, free to people. take a look at it. Go to, what's it, uh, what is it, www.what? It is mind.scientificamerican.com. Sounds good. Excellent. All right. Uh, let's take our caller. We have Teo from Japan, um, who I think is, uh, Teo, are you there? Oh. Hello. Hi. Hi, is this Teo from Japan? Oh, yes, I, I'm calling from Japan. Oh, well, thank you for calling. What, t- what time is it in Japan right now? Uh, it's 4.25 uh, a.m. Wow. Oh, Why are you up so <laughs> early in the morning? Yeah, because I, every time I, I, I enjoy listening to your radio, and now I'm, uh, I'm, I feel like uh, talking with a Hollywood star. <laughs> Well, that is sweet. Okay, Teo, just for that, you're going to get a prize no matter what happens. How's that? (laughs) Okay, so, Teo, I understand. Are you going to do the uh, SLA challenge question? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, So I'll repeat the question for you, and then you can answer it, okay? Uh, Name two of the four underlying competences that make up communicative competence as defined by um, the literature from the early 1980s. Can you name two of them? Oh, uh, is that uh, canal and twins uh, competence? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, the first one is linguistic competence mm. and also uh, discourse competence. Yeah, those are two. There's uh, linguistic competence or grammatical competence, and discourse competence are two of the four. The other two are yeah. sociolinguistic competence and then strategic competence. Good for you! Ding 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 ding! ding, ding. Yeah, I, I learned that uh, in the graduate. Uh, graduate school. Well, good for you. You had a good graduate class, and if you learned that, good. Not a lot of people read those things anymore, so it's good that you learned those things. Great. So um, I know you're gonna you want to make a comment and talk to us some more, but don't forget to make sure that Dustin gets your information so we can send you a set of oh, yeah. coasters for your oh, table. And and also I want to ask a question about sure. uh, uh, the class that I'm in charge of. Okay. Oh. And I'm a high school uh, English teacher in Japan, uh-huh. and I started teaching from uh, the la- uh, this academic year uh, from April. And I'm in charge of uh, uh, sports course, uh, sports class. We're not so uh, high motivated, and also uh, they're not so high, high English uh, communicator. Uh-huh. Uh, they don't have high English competence. Uh, but uh, so uh, every time I make a uh, uh, teaching ma- uh, reading material for them, uh, writing a, a sports-related topic, uh, so that that uh, so that they can engage in input 
based activity. And after the uh, after the class, um, I have a discussion session and uh, have them write an uh, write an essay about uh, about the topic. Uh, do you think uh, this is a communicative co uh, class? And also, uh, how can I uh, include more communicative uh, communicative activities in, into my class? And uh, do you have any suggestions for that? Oh well, if we had a, if we had an hour and a half or two, I would love to answer that question for you. But let me let me just give you a short answer. First of all, um, when people are engaged in reading and talking about a reading, that's communicative because you're involved in meaning making. Um, that doesn't mean there's not other ways of doing communicative stuff. But that that's I mean again, remember the essence, the most critical thing about communicative classrooms that somehow meaning making is going on. And reading, by definition, if you're actually reading for meaning, then guess what? You're engaged in some kind of meaning making. And if you're talking about the reading or dealing with the reading and so on. And the same thing with the essay. It, you know, a lot depends on how you frame the essay, Teo. If it's, if it's just a writing activity to write, um, then, it, th then students might consider it language practice. And it depends on how you grade it and so on. Um, and so there are tasks, there are writing tasks that are more or less communicative. So if there's a defined audience with a defined purpose, like let's say our job is we're going to make a Wikipedia page about this sports topic we just learned about. So we're all going to chip in and make this Wikipedia page and we're going to put it up. That's a writing task that has an outcome, involves meaning making, and has a communicative purpose. But if you're saying, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're saying, okay, we're going to read this article on baseball and then I want you to write a 200-word summary and then I'm going to grade it and give you, you know, I'm going to grade you for your grammar and your vocabulary and I'll also grade you for your ideas. <coughs> Excuse me, Theo. Then, <coughs> ooh, I just got some little bug in my throat. Um, then that, um, that particular task is less communicative because you're going to be more focused on the language part and students might actually treat it like language practice. Okay, so that's, so what you're describing is, is potentially communicative and, and very well maybe. It's just all again about the execution and how much you can maintain the focus on meaning making. Mm -hmm. Now, um, <clears throat> again, I'm reducing communicative classrooms to, it, I'm stripping it down, there's more to it than that, but again, meaning making is always central. Now, in terms of making your class more um, um, communicative, um, there are all kinds of resources out there. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, I'm going to, um, ask you to uh, give, uh, send us your email. Um, do you have our email address, twithbvp at gmail.com? Teo, send, send us an email after you hang up. Um, oh, sure, sure. And, and, get, and send us your address, because we're going to send you the coasters for winning the SLA challenge question. Well, I'm also going to send you a couple of things that I think will be useful for you to think about a communicative classroom that you can read that'll be, that are hands-on and that answer your question, because um, we don't have a lot of time in the show to answer that question. But I will, I will send those to you, okay? Um, oh, thank you very much. All right? Okay, good. Yeah, All right, I always appreciate your passion. Oh, well, thank okay. you. for. We appreciate you for being there at 4.30 in the morning, um, Japan oh, yeah. time. So, All right, don't forget, send us an email with your address and um, remind me to send you the things on communicative language teaching. And it, th those things should should point you in the right direction to thinking more about your classroom. Okay? Sure. All right. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Dale. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.
Yay, Japan just called in. Yay. That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. I feel like the Olympics <laughs> when people call in. Okay, how many countries? We've had Japan call in. We've had Australia call in. We've had, didn't Chile call in one time? And who else? Chile I don't called remember in. anymore. We've had people from the I UK. I called in from Germany. We had Oman call in. You called in from Germany, but you don't count. Oh, so sad. So sad. And then who else? We've had Oman. We've had, uh, then we have somebody from Morocco call in. And we've had more people call from all over the world than from the United States. How's that? I don't know if that's the case. <laughs> I know. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Well, Someone could do a study on it. Well, let me. Let all me, the tea with Well, now that TO won the SLA challenge question, let me give people the diva challenge questions. This is a fun one. And I bet Walter cannot answer this on Calico. I bet then I okay. can't answer it. So either. here's the diva challenge <laughs> question for those of you who want to be divas like me. Okay. In 1980, see how I'm stuck on the 80s, by the way? Hmm. In 1980, Bette Midler was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress in her debut role in The Rose. She lost the Oscar to what other actress that year? So you're I asking repeat. who actually won it. Yeah, so in 1980, Bette Midler was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress in her debut role in The Rose. She lost the Oscar to what other actress that year? And I'm sure it was a squeaker in the voting. Okay, so, um, and she wasn't playing the ukulele then either. <laughs> okay, so that's your Diva Challenge question. Call in if you got an answer, then great. Angelica, you got a quote for us this week? I want to hear your quote. I sure do. What's your quote about? Well, communicative language teaching, of course. Oh, awesome. Imagine that. So the quote is by Sandra Savignon um, from her 1983 book titled Communicative Competence, Theory, and Classroom Practice. And here goes the quote. Attention to interpretative strategies is crucial, as we have seen, for the development of communicative competence on all levels. And this should be recognized in materials design. Ooh, say that again. What was the first part? Attention to interpretative strategies is crucial, as we have seen, for the development of communicative competence on all levels, and this should be recognized in materials design. Interpretive strategies. That means what? Comprehending language, right? That means input. So you think it? Uh, this was written in the '80s. You said, right? Has, has anything book? changed since then? No, yeah. I mean, no. I mean, I think that's a great quote. Thank you, Angelica, because that speaks to the issue I brought up earlier. That communicative language teaching is not just about making students speak. Um, communications, expression, interpretation, negotiation of meaning in the context of the classroom. So the, that that Sandra said um, uh, back in actually she said it earlier than that, but then she published her book in '83. Um, that inter the interpretation side of communication is as important as anything else at all levels. Um, I think it's important. We lose sight of that. Um, I don't know how communicative language teaching got to be make them talk, make them talk from the beginning, make them talk, 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 talk. Uh, it was never really meant to be that. Um, not, I mean, not that simple. I mean, obviously, students are going to be interacting with you in the classroom, but um, it wasn't about making them talk. But anyway, I digress. Has okay. anyone ever had to make you talk? Say what? <laughs> <laughs> I said, has anyone ever had to make you talk? Make you, you talk. Talk? Mm -hmm. As in make me talk? Yes, exactly. Why are you asking that question, Walter? That little <laughs> grin on I'm your face? I'm just curious. Actually, yes. Yeah. Yes. 
I'm, I've, I tell this before, I, and I can talk on the radio, like I can give a speech in front of a thousand people, fine, but put me one-on-one -on -one in a cocktail party and I clam up, you have to make me talk. It's hard for me to, I, I don't like one-on-one, -on -one. I get really shy around certain people. Okay, enough about me. That was very vulnerable. Let's you. talk about our audience. Do we have any email questions, Walter? Yes, we do have some email questions. Thank God. This <laughs> I want to hear from somebody out there. I want to hear from... Uh, All right, this is from Email Land from Sarah. And she says, hello. I have recently become a huge fan of your podcast. Who's that? Sarah. Yay, Sarah, thank you. We're, we're, you're, we're a huge fan of you now that you've said that. Thank you. And she says, I am only on episode nine, but I am listening to all of them this school year. Thank you so much for your expertise and insights into second language acquisition. My question is this. How do you create a communicative curriculum document for a school district? What are the guiding principles that are essential to any communicative curriculum document? Ooh. You know what? That, we've talked about that last season because uh, that, that's the book I'm working on, Principles of Communicative Language Teaching. Um, and so here's what we're going to do. Um, cause that will take, I mean, I, I can just name them real quick, but we're, I think I'm going to see if we can put something up on the website and our resources, um, that will help people. Uh, but, but here they are in a nutshell. Um, one is that, um, language is not like subject matter. Um, it is too abstract and complex to be taught and learned explicitly. So that's one thing. Second thing is that um, if you're going to teach communicatively, you better have a definition of communication. And that definition informs everything, all the decisions you make, <clears throat> or most of the decisions you make. The third thing is that you have to understand that acquisition is severely constrained by both internal and external factors. Okay, And, and there's a lot involved in understanding that. Um, the fourth principle is that one of the main jobs of the teacher is to provide appropriate uh, level appropriate input and interaction with that input in the classroom a and outside the classroom as well as online materials and so on. Um, a fifth uh, principle uh, is that tasks and not exercises or activities should form the backbone of the curriculum. That doesn't mean that you do tasks every day. It just means that the tasks are what guide overall your curriculum. Um, uh, fifth, uh, no, sixth uh, principle is that if you're going to focus on form at all and you don't have to, but if you're going to focus on formal properties of language, um, then you better do it through input and in a meaning-based way. Um, and then, of course, any curriculum, whether it's communicative or not, always has the principle of assessment of students and testing should match what you do in the classroom and vice versa. So, um, so that's just a given. So I think what we might do is I might put up a little, we'll put up a little document or something on our resource page. Um, I'll talk to Luke about that, see how we can get that done in the next week. Um, well, and there have been emails of late asking, when is that book coming out that you're, that you're going to be publishing that you keep telling us about? So. Well, the book, is gonna, the book is delayed because um, it was, has gotten really good reviews and positive things from the people that have been looking at it for Actful, but it's, it's gotten such a positive response that they want to do more with it. They want to actually do some different things to it to, uh, to make it even more enticing to people. So we're tweaking some things, and, but the problem is I start the Diva Tour. And so I don't have time to sit down and do the revisions and do some of the tweaking that needs to happen. So uh, it's probably going to come out in the spring and not this fall. So we'll, I'll keep you updated on the date that's coming out. But, um, but it is, it's in the works. Don't worry. It hasn't disappeared. Um, it's just that's probably going to be bigger and better than my original intent was, which is good. Well, I'm afraid that Connie from Colorado is going to be 
quite disappointed then because she writes, as the president-elect of the Colorado Congress of Foreign Language Teachers, I want to tell you how excited we are to have you at our fall conference. Teachers from all over Colorado will be in attendance as well as a few from neighboring states. My question for you, when will your book be coming out? I was hoping to have you autograph it while you're here, but more importantly, teachers in Colorado want to use this resource as a springboard to great language acquisition in our classrooms. Oh, so sorry. Um, sorry, Connie. I'll see you in a couple of weeks or at the end of the month, whenever it is. It's, yeah, it's the yeah the last uh, the last weekend of September. So no book, Connie. Sorry, but maybe in the spring. Um, maybe I'll make a special visit when the book comes. I'll make a special visit to come out to your Congress again, and we'll do that. How's that sound? Walter will pay for my plane ticket. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He'll sell his ukulele and mm. buy my ticket. <laughs> Oh, uh, what's going on in Mixler, Angelica? Why are you so quiet over there? Nothing, nothing. What, why are people asleep? What's going on? No, I mean they're they're talking, but are they still trying to figure out the answer to the diva question? Yeah, I don't know. Why is nobody calling in about that? I know that's an easy one. That's an easy one. I could do is go to Oscars.com and look, or just type in Oscars 1980 and easy. Should I read the question again, just for yes, people? Yes, please. Okay. In 1980, Bette Midler was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress in her debut role in The Rose. Some say love. Okay. Mm. She lost the Oscar to what other actress that year? Who subsequently she became good friends with, by the way. Was that other actress also a diva? No. No, 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 no. All right, I have another question. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always ready for your questions, Walter. This is from Francesca. And she says, Ooh, I like Francesca. I, I like lis- that name. It is a nice name. I want a child. I want to name it Francesca. I listened to episode 30, which was our last episode, mm-hmm. I believe, right? And you said you were going to talk later about tasks are ideal for teaching without textbooks, but you never got back to it. I was taking notes to get some scaffolding on what on getting going without a textbook. I will listen next week. Okay, well, I can't, we can't, again, these are those kinds of questions where people, you know, the devil's in the details, right? But let me give you, let me tell you what Walter and I actually were talking about today, right, Walter? Correct. We're talking about this. Um, the idea, for example, is um, to, what we want to do here, um, and we're seriously looking at, um, is coming up with five or six tasks that drive the first semester course. For example, just the first semester course, Spanish 101. And so what will happen is those will be spaced out over time. So let's say there's three weeks because we have a 15-week semester. So we have five tasks, um, and they take you know, anywhere between two or three weeks to get to that task. So those tasks form the backbone. And we look at those tasks, and we go, what does a student need in order to do these tasks? And then we work backwards, and we build in the mini task along the way and, um, and then help our instructors with activities that get the students to the point where they, when when the time comes, they perform the task as it is laid out in the syllabus. So then we, then what happens is you don't have a textbook anymore because everything is dictated by the task. The task tells you what you need to do. You just work backwards from the task. Um, and I demonstrated this, for example, when we did the, um, just to give you a little simple example, um, when we did our orientation uh, at the beginning of the semester for our new TAs, our new teaching assistants, and our new instructors, I put a task up, and I had 10 students who knew Spanish whatsoever. And I said, can you do this? Ted looked at this task, and it was a, a, a task about um, 
uh, you had to interview someone and find out that person's name, where that person was from, what that person's major was, the class that person was taking this semester, and how many total credits, and then what that person's favorite class is. And the idea was you're doing that for me as an instructor because I want to know that information about everybody in my class. But rather than me just have you fill this out, you're going to go get the information for me sometime. Uh, so I, I'll be patiently waiting for you to get me the information. So I said, can you do this task? And I went, no, of course not. I go, great. So I said, well, we're going to start then. And I took a little teeny piece of that task, which was finding out people's names and where they're from. And I created a little mini task. And I did a whole 40-minute lesson with activities and things um, with just the language you needed to be able to do that. And, and it, it sounds like not much, right? But it actually is quite a bit. Um, so I put up on the board, I'm ready for people, you know, the, the basic things you need. You have to say, I am, you are, or he or she is. Uh, you have to say, what's your name? My name is. Uh, you have to be able to say, the per you know, talk about somebody, what that person's name is. You have to know question words like where, uh, how many, and things like that. So I put all the things on the board you needed, which is about 10 items. And I weave them in through almost like a TPRS type fashion um, because there's a lot of commonalities between basic community language teaching and TPRS and immersion and content. They all do lots of the same. And we did a bunch of activities where I got them to the point where then I said, I think you're not ready to do this little mini task. And then, Walter, you were there, right? Mm -hmm. And what happened? They did it. They did it. I turned they them loose. They did it. I turned them loose on the audience who did speak Spanish um, or were paying attention. And sure enough, they got all the information on three people. And then they had to report out loud who they met and so on. Um, and so that's an example of how I used a task um, that said, this is where we're going to be a week from now. This is where you're going to do on Friday. But today's Monday. So here's a little teeny part of that task you're going to learn how to do today. Then every day we keep building on that until we get to the point where we can do that final task. So that's an example of how you can teach without a textbook by using tasks. Um, but anyway, so that's the only example I can give. Angelica, why are you raising your hand that nobody can see except us? Because I have a question from Mixler. I thought maybe you're you was getting hot in here and you're like raising oh. your arms like air yourself out. I do that no. sometimes. You go like this, <laughs> raise your arms too and much flap information. like Michael Phelps because you're just like all sweaty and hot and tired. You know. I think that would make me more sweaty and hot and tired. I don't know. Oh well. Anyway. Flapping my arms. <laughs> now they're both flapping their arms. This is this is bizarre. <laughs> um, so Darren has a question from Mixler. Hey Darren. What is an example of a true communicative task and what is not a communicative? communicative task. Okay, we've talked about this so many times, but I'll be happy He's to do it. He's not having an Alice moment about that. But I'll be, happy, <laughs> I'll be happy to do it again, Darren. Okay, remember, um, a task is defined by um, various factors. One is there has to somehow be the expression and interpretation of meaning going on in the task. If there's, not, if there's no meaning involved, you can't have a task. That's fact number one. Uh, factor number two is that um, oh, well, uh, there has to be expression and interpretation of meeting. So there's somebody has to be talking, somebody has to be listening, there has to be something going on back and forth. And the third thing, the third factor that makes it a complete and fully communicative thing is if it has a purpose. Okay, So uh, in other words, like the task I just described where the students are going to get information about each other by the end of the week and give it to me. It's because I want to know. I want to know what Walter's. I want to know Walter's background. What's he taking? What's his major? Where's he from? I want to. So you're going to do that for me. That's a real task. It's a real life task. You're going to do my job for me. Um, and so it has an actual purpose. The purpose of that task is to get this information and give it to your teacher. The purpose is not to practice these things. The purpose is to get this information and give it to your teacher because your teacher wants this 
to know about you. Um, so um, often what happens is things fall short of having a purpose. You see in a lot of textbooks something that looks communicative, but it's not. It'll say something like, um, take turns um, finding out um, where you're, what your names are and where you're from. It'll say that. That'll, I, actually, that's almost literally lifting that out of a textbook I saw recently. And that's under the banner of communication in a certain part of the chapter. And I look at that and I go, well, that's not really communication because why am I doing this? What's the purpose? I'm actually just practicing some words that you had listed on page two. I'm not really, why do I want to know your name or where you're from? What am I going to do with that? As opposed to the task I just described where I have to do that because my teacher wants this information about his class. Um, and so uh, very oftentimes things fall short of being communicative because um, they don't have a purpose. And here's the interesting part about understanding purpose. Ready for this? Mm-hmm. There's research on this, actually. Um, Pete Brooks and some others have done research on this, where um, they look at how students behave when you put them in pairs. Hmm. And if students don't perceive that there is actual communication going on in the class, that what the teacher's doing with them are just language practice activities, even though they, quote, unquote, look communicative, the students repeat the behavior of the teacher in their pair work. So they stop focusing on the message and start focusing on the language, for example. And, they, and the, the message or the meaning making becomes secondary to using the right words or practicing the grammar point or doing something. They literally convert their prayer work mm -hmm. into just some kind of practice. And they're done when, they, when they've you know, gone through five items and said, you know, I've, I've practiced these five items, as opposed to have I gotten the information I need because my teacher wants this for something. Um, and so there's actually research on that. So it's very interesting that students know the difference intuitively between an activity that's communicative and not. And they will treat one that is not fully communicative as a non-communicative activity. So your, some, some teachers' best intentions are thwarted by students because the students can really see what's going on. So there. Research is out there. Go read it. It's interesting stuff. Excellent. And Thank who's you. the author of that again? Pete? Pete Brooks. Pete actually, Brooks. His, his, published, his published name is Frank. Frank What's Frank's middle initial? How Frank B. Brooks, I think. Uh, um, but his nickname is Pete. Um, but he's written about this, and some other people have written about this too, but, but his sticks out in my head. I, I've cited him several times. It's really interesting. The students even do things like the following. Ready for this? So like they'll be working in pairs, and so they're describing a picture, and the teacher thinks it's a community activity because they're describing a picture. And so, um, so, I'm, uh, so I'm the student with Angelica, and, I, and Angelica describes, um, is trying to describe this girl, and she says... Es uh, bonito, and which is she's pretty, but the gender's wrong on the adjective. So th what this kid does, for example, in this one episode that Pete Brooks shows, say kid goes, bonito, and then Angela goes, oh, uh, 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 bo, bonita, and then the kid goes, si, bonita, and they go on to the next item. And they're just, they're really literally imitating what the teacher's been doing with them in the mm -hmm. class, you know, before mm -hmm. that. And they're not focused at all on the message. I mean, because, you know, it's just, it, it's just really interesting to look at some of that stuff. So, anyway, I know a lot of people out there say, what's wrong with that? Well, again, mm -hmm. if you want to be communicative, there's something wrong with it. So, or for example, a textbook publishing a video program where they go around asking people in the streets of, some Spanish-speaking country. What's in your kitchen? No, nope, what's in your refrigerator? It was in the kitchen, I thought. But <laughs> people were going around saying la estufa and things like that. And 
Well, that's not exactly communicative because what's the purpose just so they can hear those particular vocabulary words pronounced by native speakers? Yeah, I guess exactly. that's the only that's the only purpose there is, right? So, and th I call that a waste of video. Let me tell you, because video should tell stories. It should be something you're listening to and and then paying attention because it's interesting. But that's being cl that's claim they're claiming that that is communicative. Yeah. I remember we watched that in my office. I remember oh, that. I, now. I, I recall yes, very yes, yes. clearly. And I remember what we talked about. How could that be communicative? I thought it was about the refrigerator. And I said we could turn that into an activity where, where the activity is, tell me what's in your refrigerator, and I'll tell you who you are. So Angelica, what's in your refrigerator? We didn't we do this last year? We did. Yeah, yeah well we that's did. I was, that's yeah. why yeah. I think it's important to bring back because you did. You yeah. I think it was what's in your kitchen and then you said, well it would make more sense if you ask what's in your refrigerator for the purposes of then being able to say, well this is what this person's like because this is what this person has in their refrigerator. Right. So I mean, and there, it, it, well, there's other things you could do. I could ask questions about what's in your kitchen to find something out about you. Um, that would tell me things like um, how many ovens do you have, Angelica, in your kitchen? How many ovens? Mm -hmm. One. How many ovens do you have, Walter? One. Is that a one? trick question? How many no. ovens do you have? I only have one, but I want two. <laughs> That's really surprising. <laughs> Wait, can you explain why? Well, what kind of person has two ovens as opposed to one? Uh, a baker. Yeah, or somebody Someone who, who likes loves to cooking. Bake. Yeah. Think about Thanksgiving where you got a turkey in one, you got pumpkin pies in the other. It's important mm -hmm. to have two mm -hmm. ovens and wall ovens, not wa not ovens that go with your stove. See, now you're just learning something about me, right, by knowing that. I think we already knew that about you, though, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and how about your refrigerator? Do you have a refrigerator? I do. How many? One. You have one refrigerator? How many refrigerators Correct. do you have? One, but also freezer chest downstairs. Okay, see? So she has a refrigerator and a freezer chest. And you only have, I have two refrigerators. One in the garage where I keep all the booze, keep it chilled. <laughs> um, for when Dan comes over and he wants a beer or something, I can give Dan a beer. Um, but then I have my refrigerator in the house, which is where I do the food and the, you know that kind of stuff. So anyway, so then that's how you find out stuff. That's, that's, that's how you turn that thing into a communicative activity by finding out why these things are important to people and why they have these things and so on. Um, and Luca just sent me a message saying, you never offer me a beer from your garage fridge. <laughs> Only to Dan. Okay, next time, Luca, you're going to get two. How's that? All right. We shouldn't be talking about beer on the sh on the on the show. We've got. Do we have is anybody listening who's under twenty one? Oh, that's okay. We're not telling them to drink. Okay. <laughs> Any other questions? Or nobody called for the diva quiz? Oh yeah, no I'm kidding. I'm the diva and the diva wow. question. I am fatuts. This is worse than America's Got No Talent. <laughs> <laughs> we got a bunch of ukulele playing people out there in the audience who do not mm, want to. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. You're all. We love you, fans. We love you. We love you, listening audience. But. This was the e one of the easiest questions in the world, really. Well, easy gonna, to look up anyway. I'm going to make Walter know. answer it here in a minute if you got if you don't. Okay, I'm going to give you. We have one more minute before somebody before we're going to not answer the take a call on that. So you better you got one minute to call in on the diva <laughs> challenge question. Okay, any other anything on Mixler? Angelica, you're laughing. Well, yeah, because somebody said that they have 33 refrigerators. <laughs> 33 refrigerators. <laughs> <laughs> I want to marry that person. Who is it? How many bodies are in the refrigerator? We, we don't, we don't, we don't. <laughs> That's a question we definitely don't want to know. Magista P. Ah, okay. All right. 33 refrigerators. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I am losing my well, voice Well, see, today. and now people are answering the diva question on Mixler. You people have to call in. Call in. Yeah, see, we don't do that. In. Okay. You've got, there's like 20 seconds left to call in. All right, all right. That's it. 
I'm cutting. I'm cutting people off on these questions. My gosh. So are we just going to wait, or do you want another and email I was going to give away a dinner with Walter at Actful with this diva question today, but I guess nobody's taking that, so. And we could watch The Rose. Some say love. Whose side are you on? I love that movie. I haven't watched that movie in a long time. Any other questions? I need give me something to do here. I'm sitting here. Am okay. I getting paid for doing nothing? Mixer is going crazy now. Actually, I'm not getting paid. Brian has 200 couches. Brian has 200 couches? Mm-hmm. And it was actually Lance who has the 33 refrigerators. Ed Lance. Ed Lance. All right. I always ask questions here at the end, and then you never have time to answer them, so I'm not asking one right now. Okay, but I do have a quick question. So Lizette is asking, so what are some examples of communicative activities that would um, be used, what? That would be used to have the, what? Students acquire the language necessary to be able to accomplish the task that BVP mentioned. I don't okay. understand this the question. Is where, like, this is where I think rate readings and games come in, for example. So like in the activity that I was talking about, um, the mini activity I had, uh, which uh, you'd have to find out the names and, um, and yeah, now somebody's calling in. The show's about ready to end. We got somebody calling in. <laughs> uh, uh, let me take this call because we only have four minutes left. Yes, I don't absolutely. Think we got ten minutes to talk to uh, two minutes to talk to Meredith. Meredith, you're on the air. I'm ready. Hey, Meredith. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Where are you calling from? Uh, calling from Georgia. Hey, Georgia. Yay, the great state of Georgia. How are your yeah. peaches doing? <laughs> they are good. They good. Are good. Send me some. I don't like the peaches here in Michigan. I grew up in California. We had good peaches. I don't like good peaches here. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're good. It's about to be the end of peach season, so they're oh. not peachy All anymore. Right. Well, oh, send, me, oh. send me some peach jam. How's that? Okay. We'll do it. So what are you calling about, Meredith? Um, well, I was calling a couple things. The one I had commented earlier about that student in third block who was like, you have tea with that man. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Which yeah. was really funny. Yeah. Um, because then everyone's heads turned like, she has tea with a man after school. <laughs> they thought that was really funny. Like a man comes and we have tea together. Um, so then the student had to explain what tea with BBP was. And she knew. Like she had been here one day when I had a playing. So it was really funny. And the second one was I was going to answer the diva question. Oh, well, great. Because we have just like one minute to do that. So let me give it to yeah, you. Real, let me say the question again. And then we'll see if you get a ding, ding, ding. Okay, in 1980, Bette Midler was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress in her debut role in The Rose. She lost the Oscar to what other actress that year? Answer is? Sally Field. Sally Field. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Did you know that, Angelica? No. Oh, okay. Of course. Well, Well, but Meredith did. Yay. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Thanks, Meredith. Thanks for calling and saving the show. Okay, stay on the line and give Dustin your information. We're going to send you a set of coasters, okay? Wait, I thought it was dinner with Walter. Okay, this is upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Are you going to be at Apple? I am. Okay. Well, there you go. Then you're going to have dinner with Walter as well as your coasters. Walter, has that. got a date, and we're Twitter. We're like we're following each other on Twitter now. So okay, there you I'm going to follow him in real life. There <laughs> you go. All right, Meredith. All right, thanks a lot. Stay Thank in the you. line and give Dustin your info. Cool. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Oh well, that's it. Time to get going. I got to give the acknowledgments before before Daniel puts the music on. Um, thanks, everybody, for a great show today. We want to thank our technical producer, Daniel Trego, as usual, and our media producer, Luca Giappone, who's going to come over and have a beer later, I think. The talented and trusted call handler and muscle man, oh, do you know the muscle man, the muscle man, Dustin DeFelice. Our wonderful assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney, who's off today because he's finishing his 
qualifying research paper, yay. The College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our Dean, Christopher Long. And as a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And of course, we always thank our listeners out there as well. Our topic next week will be, guess what? A surprise. Tweet us or send a message within 24 hours if you have a hot topic you want us to take up, and we will consider it. Until then, have a great weekend. Have a great beginning of the next week. And happy second language acquisition to everybody. Angelica, Walter. Goodbye, everybody. Auf Wiedersehen. Bis nächste Woche. And please do not send me any tweets or emails about ukuleles. I do not want to hear it. And I'm sorry to the poor girl who won. She was actually quite good. Poor thing. I'm sorry. I take back everything I said. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Goodbye.